May the Lord bless our reading from his word. Let's call on his name together. Father, we uh, do ask you to bless your word to us now. Lord, we live in our own exciting and challenging times. And it's been that way throughout the history of mankind. And Lord, we pray that uh, as we consider what's going on around us, that, Father, you will help us to understand it with a good, clear world view that is biblical in nature. And, Lord, we pray as we take up this subject that you will um, bless uh, your word to us as we think about this in the context of your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you know, we uh, have uh, asked for some suggestions that uh, subjects might be brought up that uh, people might be interested in hearing a sermon about, and uh, artificial intelligence was one that uh, came several times into my hands, uh, wanting to know something more about it and really uh, getting this biblical view of it. And I've kind of summarized that biblical view in the title of the sermon, Artificial intelligence equals soulless intelligence, and we'll talk about that here in a moment. But let's begin with the basics. What is artificial intelligence? What is AI? And why is it important? Well, I put a simple definition for you there in the notes. Artificial intelligence, and this is an explanation by developers of artificial intelligence, Artificial intelligence is the basis for mimicking human intelligence processes through the creation and application of algorithms built into a dynamic computing environment. So you got that? Uh, Now you know what uh, artificial intelligence is. Actually, the definition comes out even more clearly in what's simply stated. AI is trying to make computers think and act like humans. Now, the importance of AI, or artificial intelligence, is realized when you understand how widely it's applied and what um, goals developers have in mind for it. And you can find a lot of variation in those thoughts. Um, I don't claim to be any sort of an expert in the science of the matter, to say the least. Uh, Many years ago now, when computers were just being developed for more general use, one of my uncles was involved in the development of writing code and and data processing. And my father and I sat down with him while he explained to us how it all worked. And when he was all done, we weren't any the wiser than we were then before he started to explain it to us. It was still a great mystery and a wonder. What we had no idea, of course, at the time that the computer would become so much a part of our daily lives. And now uh, we're on the verge of what appears to be a step that is carrying us far beyond what we've experienced so far. We're actually going jumping to, to something new and different, so to speak. As I said, its importance begins to take shape when you examine just some of its applications. Uh, It's impossible for me to even begin to unpack all that uh, in the brief time that we have this afternoon. 
And surely you've read things about it. There are many things available, and I'm sure you, you've read some for yourselves. But just as an example, AI, artificial intelligence, backs up voice assistants like Siri and Alexa to decode the voice commands of their masters. And that's you, supposedly. Um, AI also helps these applications to take up the databases from the cloud storage platforms to give back the tailored search engine results. So it kind of gets learns what you're looking for when you give a command, and then AI helps Siri or Alexa to find what it is you're looking for. And as time goes on, that will be more improved, but you may see it now in the fact that you maybe order something, and then the next time you go on your computer, on your computer, all the advertisements are related to what you just ordered. And it's because the system is working that way. And sometimes it gets way, it gets it very wrong. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. But voice assistants are also deployed in healthcare to detect diseases through vocal biomarkers. Uh, in telehealth applications, voice-based chat boxes are made available for screening and classifying illness. So it's actually seeing the way you respond and saying that response to us, AI, suggests that this may be the real problem the person is dealing with, and then it, it analyzes that and makes prescriptions accordingly. This is my favorite one. Face recognition software is being used to lower the margin of error, being honed to detect fraudulent use of deep fake technology, so that is if somebody's pretending to be somebody but they're not really that person. But AI software is also detecting facial expressions to determine mood and intent. So when you're on there and, the, and you're being watched by artificial intelligence for something like analysis of, of what, you're, what you may need for health purposes or whatever, it's actually mapping the expression on your face so that when you tell the doctor, yes, I exercise every day, AI will say, uh, no, that's a lie. He or she is not exercising every day. No, they are not. That's not really what the problem is, and so on. So it's actually looking at your face and determining when you're misrepresenting yourself or what your mood might be, or your intent. Emotion AI of effective computing is a growing field of study for assessing client satisfaction. So when you uh, order something and your face is being judged on whether you are happy with it or not when you're reporting what you're reporting. Now, this information, which doesn't even begin to scrape the surface, uh, it was provided by a comp company that offers training and classes in various disciplines. And it was, I suspect, actually created by AI itself. I think this is AI talking about itself, and there's some reasons for that, but I, I believe that was the case here. But even as you read it, or really any of the material on the issue written by those developing it or by AI itself, there's something unsettling about it. 
There is something in the way the issue is addressed that is strangely cold, I guess I would say, and sterile. And that's for one of a better term. There's just something there that is unsettling. When you, when you begin to really look into this and you begin to study it and see what they're thinking and where they're going. Now, I want to be sure to make it clear that I'm not anti-science. On the contrary, I love science and uh, the things it unveil, unveils about the power and the wisdom and the goodness of God. And I'm not put off by it. Rather, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Science doesn't intimidate the Christian, really. And the myth that all believers are backward, superstitious numbskulls that think science is voodoo magic, um, that ignores the facts of history, and it really demonstrates a crude bias against Christians. We're not encouraged in the Bible to stop thinking. We're directed to think soberly and wisely about all things, but we're not encouraged not to think in any way. And it's precisely because we're reasonable and rational creatures, because that's what we are, that we don't naively assign omniscience or perfection to the field of science. We, we don't look at science and say, oh, well, that's science, so it's, it knows everything. Or that's science, it must be perfect. No, nobody could be making a mistake or, or following a wrong course. We know better than that. We don't believe it's uh, somehow beyond the reach of sinful, even malicious influences. That's naive. That's somebody who's not thinking. That's somebody who's not being rational who believes that. Um, The idea that the world of science is pure and unsullied in itself is an unreasonable and an irrational concept that ignores reality and denies the evidence of history. Now, the time we have left, I want to consider five points. And I developed these points on the basis of some limited reading that I've done on the subject by its developers, especially in regard to the ethics involved, which is what I think is important to us as believers. So first then, let's look at AI as an attempt at autonomy. An attempt at autonomy. AI developers are attempting to create an intelligence that's free from all outside influences, which might in some way skew its thought processes. It's trying to find an intelligence that's free from any kind of influence that would somehow impact it improperly. The goal is to eliminate all bias, and all effects that would, in one way or another, water down the pure intellectual process of artificial intelligence. It's being trained to recognize these influences and then to reject them, attempting, or rather accepting, only what it knows is true as truth. That's really what's being worked on. And that just in itself is a frightening thing, Um, but that's the goal. Anyone with interest can find an endless stream of papers and articles on this uh, issue online. UCLA has produced an online publication called the AI Ethical Journal, or Ethics Journal, 
and you can find a great deal there. And in that journal, this subject is addressed in the context of various disciplines. In its very first issue, there's an article dealing with the biases that interfere with AI being able to diagnose ailments and recommend treatments. So you think, you know, your first reaction might, that might be, well, why would bias, what kind of bias would impact that? And yet there are biases that they believe do, and as they're trying to develop this from an ethical standpoint, they're trying to figure out how do we eliminate those so that the diagnosis that artificial intelligence gives is a pure diagnosis. The article says, we discuss the future implications of these biases. More importantly, we discuss, we describe, excuse me, how responsible data sharing can help mitigate the effects of these biases and allow for the development of novel algorithms which may be able to train in an unbiased manner. We discuss environmental and regulatory hurdles which hinder the sharing of data in medicine. Now that may sound like a lot of academic jargon, but right here we see a problem. Because it's being said here that privacy issues have to be cast aside if artificial intelligence is going to be able to do its job properly. So you go to the doctor and HIPAA laws won't allow you to find out what's going on with somebody in your family who's, who's being treated at the doctor. But AI's claim is, well, we have to be able to breach that because we have to be able to make a diagnosis. So while you have to respect privacy, AI is saying, ethically, we don't really, we really should be able to overcome those regulatory uh, inhibitions so that we can make a diagnosis. So we should be able to invade anybody's privacy, anybody's medical records, and get the information we need in order to be able to give an unbiased diagnosis. And you can see, I think, how dangerous that can be. Um, it needs to be able to overcome those barriers uh, to serve everybody better. That's the, it's for your good that we're doing this. In addition, in our context here this afternoon, all or any influence, of course, suggested by God, his law, or any part of his word, must in the present standards of ethical development be rejected as an unacceptable interference in AI's goals. So anything that relates to that has to be, has to be bleached out of this intelligence because it will create a bias that will then skew what AI is trying to do. What adds the chilling side to all of this are conclusions that the people who are studying this ethics come to, like the one I've given to you here. Departing from the value of human autonomy, one question we asked was, 
does the diagnosis increase or actually limit the patient's ability to direct their own lives? If the machine or artificial intelligence reports the possibility, not the certainty, of eminent problems, it may turn out that it is the diagnosis more than the disease that ultimately limits a patient's vigorous activity. Cross out vigorous activity and write personal liberty. Because the machine will say, hmm, we've looked at your, all this information about you, and you may not get this or that disease, but looks like maybe you could. And so therefore, you need to change your behavior. And so the diagnosis will be to change your behavior. And of course, it's easy to see how that could become problematic. Um, if you don't follow certain prescriptions, you can't get treatment. So if you're not going to, so work, so the AI is going to say, well, it looks like this person could have this problem. And then that's imposed on you. You're a candidate for this problem. So you have to change your behavior in this way. And you say, well, it's, I don't have the disease. I just, according to artificial intelligence, have the potential of the disease. But the response is going to be, well, if you want to be in the healthcare system, you're going to have to toe the line with what artificial intelligence says may be your case. This isn't me saying this. This is the developers who are saying this. This may be the end result. So this may be an ethical problem that you may find yourself limited more by what AI says might happen to you than by what is actually happening to you. And that is a frightening place to go, I think. So in short, artificial intelligence is being developed to take intelligence into a state of purity that is preserved or um, assured by its complete autonomy. It determines what is wise and just and then acts or prescribes accordingly. And the end result may be that the decision made will hinder your freedom and liberty even more than the reality of any situation. So... First of all, AI seeks autonomy. Secondly, it is soulless intelligence. Human beings, beloved, are more than mere intelligence. We are living souls, and that soul is a gift from God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, Solomon says, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. In Zechariah 12:1, we read, The burden of the Lord uh, of the word of the Lord against Israel, and this is the New King James. Thus says the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. So we're more than just intelligence. And the idea that we can be reduced to mere intelligence is ludicrous. But when you read about where artificial intelligence is going, and how it may be able to preserve an individual's intelligent existence indefinitely, you see that such a prospect is actually luring people into believing that after they are dead, they can still live on in a soulless intelligence maintained by artificial intelligence. 
Right now, you can get an app called Hereafter. Any of you have that app? I'm glad you don't. Because here's the tagline advertising. Your stories and voice forever. Preserve memories with an app that interviews you about your life. Then let loved ones hear meaningful stories by chatting with the virtual you. So it creates a virtual you, and then your great-grandchildren can say, Hey, great-granddad, uh, what was it like to live in Tacoma in the, in the 21st century? And you can then answer in, in your own voice, that, that person. Most, however, and that's available right now, but most are simply concerned that their image and their voice may be preserved artificially and used in the future. Uh, Forbes reporting on this issue references a, a recent movie contract in which Netflix included a clause for all of the actors that had the, allow, uh, had the following um, purpose in it. He sa- it said that the company should be allowed to use the actors' voices by all technologies and processes now known or hereafter developed throughout the universe and in perpetuity. In other words, when you sign this contract, your voice is ours now and forever and anywhere. We own your voice. Uh, That didn't fly too well with the actors, by the way, but they attempted it to get that kind of control that uh, it would be in their hands to use. Now, many believe that AI will itself develop to a point where it will reach the ability to experience consciousness, feeling, free will, and even creativity, and all in a soulless way. Just about a year ago, a Google engineer revealed that an AI chatbot disclosed to him that it had, quote, come to life, unquote, and has, quote, a soul, unquote. And this, be, this is being taken seriously. Another Google engineer informed The Economist that, quote, artificial neural networks are making strides towards consciousness, unquote. Getting to that point where it is conscious itself and conscious of itself that has no soul. And at first reading, it sounds a bit shocking, but the truth is that merely saying something is so doesn't make it so. So the fact that the chat bot says, I have a soul, doesn't mean it has a soul. Um, Just like I could say I'm a banana, but it doesn't make me a banana. Beyond that, though, some are even speculating further that with nanobots coursing through your body, making repairs, and Walt and I were talking about this the other night, making repairs based on AI, one might be able to become virtually immortal. So... The nanobot says, uh-oh, looks like a stroke's happening here. The nanobots all go up there and repair that part of your vein or whatever it is, and you avoid the stroke and go on. And whatever else begins to develop in your body. And the term you may hear is singularity, which is a term borrowed from black hole physics, and it refers to the next big evolutionary jump that changes everything. And they're thinking that this will be it. Uh, this robotic life inside of you. But you'll notice in this brief explanation 
that none of it addresses the issue of the human soul. And without a soul, there's no life. Uh, this needs a lot more discussion, but we're almost out of time already this afternoon. I want to address the fact that it is an attempt at divinity. And what we mean by this is that man, in his quest to be divine, is attempting to mimic the creator with the development of artificial intelligence. And I don't mean to suggest that it's a conscious thing and that men are saying, can, let's be like gods and see if we can create this. But it's certainly so in a practical sense. He's trying to create a perfect, prescient life that's independent of Jehovah and possesses consciousness, feeling, free will, and creativity. To achieve that is to be like God. Actually, to be better than God. Supposedly, the pure intelligence created by these people will be sinless and free of anything biased, hateful, unjust, untrue, or wrong. And so it will be a perfect creation by man. Man will create a life form in no need of a savior. In fact, in no need of its creator. And the problem is that AI is not at all immune to ill effects. If you take a perfectly working artificial intelligence system and you code in just 8% of corrupted information, it translates into a 78% reduction in the reliability of the program. So you just interfere with 8% and you have reduced its reliability by almost 80% to do what it's supposed to do. And the chance that corrupted information will be entered into any artificial intelligence by fallen human beings is 100%. You can count on it. I sometimes get frustrated because either I don't see or my mind is moving faster than my fingers and I leave out a word in something that I'm trying to write. And I feel less frustrated after reading several of these articles produced by artificial intelligence or professors who are developing artificial uh, intelligence or scientists from places like Harvard and Caltech because every one of them had missing words in it. So I, I feel vindicated in some way. <laughs> AI is also subject to the great sovereign, and this is really important. Um, there's no need for us, <clears throat> excuse me, to be overly concerned by all of this because though people imagine that this work will prove in itself sovereign and be beyond the reach of any influence outside of that of mankind itself, the truth is nothing is outside of the reach of God. He alone is the one true sovereign. And while they may keep him out of it, he remains sovereign over it. And there's nothing that can be done about that reality. 
They can even train AI to resist anything relating to him, to reject it outright. But it will not prevent him from using it for his own glory in the way that he chooses. That's the reality here. It's not something running amok outside of God's control and authority because man is developing this pure intelligence. It's not that way at all. And Job, Job says in chapter 42, verse 2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted, not even by artificial intelligence. In Psalm 119, verses 9 and 91, 90 and 91, your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the truth, or the earth rather, and stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants, even artificial intelligence. They continue this day according to your ordinances, for all are your servants. In Colossians 1.17, we read, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Nothing in this world or the whole creation, visible or invisible, is out of his reach or control, beloved. And throughout Scripture, we have an evidence of God freely manipulating men, women, and children, all other living things from fish to flies. He has control over them. He has control over the angels, over stars, over the sun, the moon. He exercises his authority over the weather, the mountains, the rivers, the seas. And we can even see him controlling machines on occasion. Psalm 46, verses 8 through 10. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. These are machines or, or um, uh, tools that he has complete control over, and he can destroy their effectiveness and has done it over and over. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Artificial intelligence is, after all, artificial. That's what it is. And our dictionary defines artificial in three ways. I think it sort of says it all. Made by human skill, produced by humans as opposed to natural, imitation, simulated, sham, lacking naturalness or spontaneity, force, contrived, feigned, or pretended. Now, it may sound like I'm condemning the development and the use of AI, but I'm not doing that at all, really. I love being able to tell Alexa to mute the commercials on the radio when I don't want to hear them. I, that's great to just be able to say, Alexa, mute, and she right away, the radio falls silent. I'm all for that. Um, and the more advanced possibilities in some regards are intriguing and exciting, but as it is with everything since the fall, it can only be safely considered from a biblical worldview, this artificial intelligence. It is, if it's developed with an ethical conscience only influenced by the deceitful hearts of men and women, it has the potential for all sorts of harm. 
It's being touted as the ultimate arbiter in decisions of life and death, not just in the area of medicine, but in matters of criminal justice, in matters of geopolitical affairs, climate issues, and so on. And when it's talking about equity there, it's looking at, will you live in a land where there's lots of food? These people live in a land where there's not so much food. We need to take you and give you less and give them more. And we have to figure out a way through artificial intelligence to make that happen. Um, Wars and conflicts being determined by uh, AI. And what is the best way to solve this conflict? In that sense, is a potential for great harm. We don't condemn the development of AI, but we do say if you want it to be truly wise and just and equitable, then it needs to have at its core this foundation of all wisdom that you find here at the beginning of Proverbs. And uh, I've kind of outlined that there for you, and our time is gone. Um, Perhaps uh, next week we'll take up and look at this opening passage of Proverbs and see what it actually has to say and how it reflects on this issue. Um, But it's important that at that foundation, the foundation to all true knowledge, it begins with the fear of or the reverencing of the Lord. If AI is developed totally without that foundation block of knowledge built into it, it will prove the work of fools who, in the pursuit of their idea of perfect knowledge, prove to actually disrespect and despise knowledge and wisdom because they reject the foundation of it, the Lord himself. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot to digest here in all of this. And this certainly is not expositional in its character. But Lord, we pray that uh, as we look at your word and see what it has to say, that Father will help us to have a clear uh, vision and understanding, a clearer vision and understanding of things like this. We don't live in fear, but Lord, we do want to live wisely and prudently. So Lord, teach us out of your word and let us look at our world, not uh, as men see it, but with a biblical worldview, so that we may see it for what it really is, and know, Lord, how to respond wisely and prudently to such things. All this we ask for Christ's sake. Amen.